Hello everyone, and welcome to my very first podcast of Horror Nights In with your host, me, Crystal. So I don't want to waste too much time talking about myself, but since this is my very first podcast, hi, hello, my name is Crystal. Uh, I've loved horror movies since I was in the fourth grade when I first watched Candyman. Yes, I was petrified, but I still couldn't get enough of them. Uh, if you ask my closest friends, they will pretty much tell you that um, I will watch a horror movie over anything else. Horror movies are like my lullabies. I could totally fall asleep to them. I could watch them anywhere, anytime, at night, 3 a.m., 3 p.m., on a plane, in a car, anywhere. Um, so maybe I have a little bit of childhood trauma. Maybe. I don't know. But regardless of the reason, horror movies are my joy, my passion which is why I'm creating this podcast, so I can share it with you. Okay, so enough about me and all of my childhood trauma therapy session kind of thing. Uh, Let's get into the podcast. So tonight, we will be discussing the interview. I will be giving you my honest and horrific opinion, and if this is the first time you heard my voice, which it is because this is my first podcast, hello and welcome. I upload a new episode of Horror Nights In every Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time because I have no boyfriend or husband that I know of. Be sure to follow me on all my social media platforms as well. So for my podcast, I will first give you the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMBD rating. I'll give you a quick synopsis of the movie. And then the majority of the podcast is me going into great detail of the movie, kind of giving you my thoughts as I was watching it, the reactions to certain things, even some of my predictions. So let's get to it. So Rotten Tomatoes gave the invitation an 88% with 70% of the audience liking it. IMBD gave it a 6.7 out of 10. The invitation was released April 8th, 2016 to limited screenings with a running time of 100 minutes. The film was directed by Karin Kusama, who also directed Jennifer's Body, which I love that movie so much. I'm so happy. I love the writer. Diablo Cody is amazing. She actually wrote Juno, too. So, um, also, disclaimer, there are spoilers in my podcasts. The synopsis of this psychological thriller is that the main character is invited to a dinner party by his ex-wife and new husband. And the behavior of the guests at this dinner party are mixes of paranoia, mystery, and overall uneasiness that makes this a very different kind of horror movie. I honestly wouldn't classify it as a horror movie. It is more of a psychological thriller. But considering uh, psych thrillers aren't as a subgenre of horror, it would be a horror movie. The writers Phil Hay and Matt Manfredo really take the time to build the suspense with this movie as well. I had to watch it a couple times just to really grasp what was going on and look for those little innuendos and look for the little Easter eggs. Uh, The music, who was composed by Theodore Shapiro, was so creepy um, that it just made the film that much better. We are first introduced to the main character, Will, who's played by Logan Marshall Green, who I know from the OC, but he's more known for his role in Prometheus and, of course, his role as Will in this movie. He and his girlfriend or wife, it's not actually established. Uh, her name's Kira. She's played by Emayati Corinne Aldi, and I do apologize if I butcher that name. Um, she's so stunning, a uh, beautiful actress. I, I loved her. Um, they arrived at the house that he had once lived in with Eden, um, his ex, 
who is played by Tammy Blanchard, who I know as playing the young Judy Garland from the Judy Garland movie. And she also was in Into the Woods. Um, Kira is a doctor along with another character in the movie. So Will and Eden lived in that same house with their son before their son passed away. Um, they did end up getting divorced and she ended up disappearing for two years until now. Uh, this is obviously the first time Will is back in the house where his son died and he's he gets flashbacks throughout the movie. He's remembering his son playing in the living room, which is now filled with several people from his past and um, a couple new people as well. So within 10 minutes of this movie, I'm getting the vibe that Eden and her new husband David were in some kind of sister-wife scenario. Uh, they were introduced to Sadie, who adds more suspicion uh, that it's a sister-wife's family. This was just my first impression of the movie. The husband, David who is played by Mikhail Huseman. Uh, he was in the movie Wild with Reese Witherspoon. Um, Sadie, who is played by Lindsay Burge, is apparently staying with Eden and David and comes off as a little off her rocker. She was very excited to be there. She was very excited to meet Will. Um, considering the air of the dinner party was pretty, pretty chill, pretty calm, and her energy was just through the through the roof uh the couple apparently had met her down in mexico so why were they down in mexico i i have no idea at this point um i'm also getting the idea that eden david and sadie are weirdly obsessed with will too so as i said before will being in this house again is triggering a lot of old memories and one of his memories happens to be where Eden is cutting her wrists, which I have to assume is in correlation to after her son passing away, which probably led to the divorce and um, her essentially meeting her now husband David and then going on this weird trip to Mexico. Will and Eden are alone in the kitchen and Will is questioning her on how she's so different. And Eden basically says how all the useless pain is gone and she feels free. Uh, another guest of the party, Ben, joins our conversation and Eden is still trying to explain to now both of them how you can free yourself from this pain by turning it off and all you have to do is flip a switch in your brain and Ben pretty much says, you can't just do that, um, you're nuts, you can't just turn off pain. So she has the normal response of slapping him across the face. Oh, uh, apparently Bill and, oh, I'm sorry, Ben and Will used to run a business together as well. So after the weird and awkward uh, confrontation of Eden slapping Ben, everybody kind of ventures back into the living room and we are introduced to another guest at the dinner party. His name is Pruitt, who is played by John Carroll Lynch. Now, I love this actor. He was in Zodiac and Gothica. Uh, he played the sheriff in Gothica. and uh, But he's more known for his role in Lucky and Fargo. Uh, no one at this party has any idea, any idea who this guy is except for, of course, Eden, David, and Sadie. Um, as soon as he enters the room, Sadie like jumps into this guy's arm. And then I start thinking, okay, is there some weird kind of cult they found in Mexico? Is this guy their leader? Is he coming to the dinner party to check out the new recruits? Um, 
We're also reminded that another guest, Choi, is really late to the dinner party, but apparently he's known for being late to everything, and his girlfriend, Gina, is already there. Uh, She's trying to call him to figure out where he is, but apparently there's also no service in his house, and they don't have a landline either. And Eden and David leave their front door locked on both sides. Um, Will actually questions them and says, well, why is it unlocked? Or, I'm sorry, why is it locked? So they're basically trapped in there. And he explained, David explains that there was a home invasion that happened previously in the canyon. Uh, there's also bars on the windows. Um, but Eden explains that away as she lived at the house by herself for a while. And she didn't feel safe. So she got bars on the windows. Okay, so anyway, moving right along. So as the movie progresses, the air in the house starts to just get weirder. Uh, We find out that Eden is taking medication. Will is having more of his um, flashbacks of memories being in the house. Um, And then 25 minutes into the movie, we were hit when Gina excitedly explaining that David, Eden, Sadie, and Pruitt are in a cult. Now, everyone's joking, laughing, curious about their cult. So David goes on to explain how their cult is more practical, grounded, spiritual, and made up of intelligent people coming together. Now, I want to pause for a sec and talk about cults. Considering the amount of crazy, ridiculous cults there have been over the past decades, I would bounce immediately. Um, yes, I, I, I do, I've been watch horror movie American Horror Story, Cult, I've watched The Sacrament, I read about the Manson family, Heaven's Gate, and Scientology, so I would have gotten myself out of there immediately. Um, And some can argue that religion is a cult as well, but that's a whole other podcast for another time. But considering the paranoia and the weirdness of this dinner party, I would 100% make up an excuse to leave. Anyway, back to the movie. The guests at the party are then invited to watch a film about this cult that they belong to. It gives a brief introduction to the cult, and it's followed by a short film, basically watching a woman die. And and just just a little side note, um, they're watching the film on a laptop. So the house itself is gigantic, and it's made. It just made me laugh because they have these guests watching this film on a tiny little laptop screen. Um, In the beginning of the movie, we also find out that Eden comes from a lot of money uh, because Kira had made a comment to to Will about the size of the house. Um, So anyway, um, back to the little computer screen. Maybe their cult doesn't allow them to have TVs. Uh, Maybe that's why they don't have a landline. So anyways, the cult is ran by a Dr. Joseph in Mexico. And he's proclaiming that he helps him deal with trauma, loss, and grief. Trauma in this case being uh, the loss of Eden and Will's son, which is why Eden originally goes along with the idea of being in it. Um, Will then gets angry with Eden for pretty much dismissing the death of their child. Uh, Now at this point, I would really leave if I were Will. Um, He's... He's trying to to comprehend why his ex-wife is pretty much dismissing the fact that their child died two years ago. 
I'd be like, fuck this party. Um, your ex is obviously in some kind of cult, being brainwashed. Um, and two of the guests of the party, a couple, um, Tommy and Miguel, even mentioned them being a little Manson-y. Like, come on, like, what else do you need? Um, they also get a knock at the door, but we don't really find out who it is. But I do have my suspicions and my theory on who it is, which I'll get into the end of the podcast. So make sure you stick around. Um, so after watching this film, they take a little break. They start to drink a little bit more wine. Um, they play this game called I Want. So they take turns and say what they want, admitting their deepest desires. Seems harmless, but of course, with the vibe of this movie, I knew it was just going to get weird. Sadie goes first, says she loves everyone, names them all by name, looking at each one of them like directly in the eye. And then she says she wants to kiss Gina. <laughs> so then she kisses Gina. Gina then says she wants to do some coke. And apparently David is a recovering coke addict. Uh, he, but the, being in the cult like saved him. So now he's better. Um, but he has coke in his house. <laughs> so, but before she can even snort a line, uh, Pewitt tells the group that he wants to tell him about his wife. So up until this point, this guy really hasn't said anything, um, except he asks where the diet is, which I think is code for, David, I need to talk to you. Like, we need to discuss something. So his story is that he basically kills his wife in a fit of a drunken rage. He went to jail, but he came out as the same person but didn't truly heal until he was given the invitation, a.k.a. he joined the cult. Now, of course, that is very, that's a very quick, condensed version of the story. You definitely need to watch this movie. The way that he gives a speech is just so creepy. That's just why I love him so much because he, like, I can't even explain it. You just, you gotta watch the movie. So after he talks about his dead wife, Eden then says she wants to kiss Ben, which is the same, the same character that she just slapped in the kitchen. She then proceeds to make out with him. Now, mind you, we are told that Ben is married with children. His wife is at home with the children. Um, and then another guest, I believe it was Miguel, said he wants a blowjob. Um, and they all just they start laughing. Uh, finally, Claire, who is a tenured professor, says she's got to go, a.k.a. me. Um, she hasn't made much of an impact on the storyline so far, but we are under the assumption that they are all friends because her and Will have a quick conversation a few scenes earlier in the movie about her job. Um, so she goes to leave. They're all trying to get her to stay. Um, of course, the creepy murderer ex-con uh, Purit blocked her in and Will is trying to make sure she leaves safely. But at this point, we don't know if she got home safely because David pulls Will away from the window. So so Will is standing at the window making sure that Claire gets out and that this, you know, that Pure doesn't kill her. <laughs> so um, he pulls him away from the window and he confront and David confronts Will and says, you know, why are you acting so strange? We're, we're all family here. We all love you. We all want you to be a part of this. And um, so then I'm thinking in my head that this is all Will's paranoia and his inability to cope with the loss of his son and nothing's going on. It's literally just a dinner party. Um, 
Also, just a quick note, Will's entire disposition, this this whole movie, is very standoffish. It's very paranoid, and he's not super welcoming. Um, so I, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, he's definitely not laughing and joking around. He's not drinking. He's just drinking water. Um, so then they all go upstairs to start to have dinner. And Will is once again back into his head about the He's having um, flashbacks again. And he's reminded of the days when his son was alive. And he kind of starts to lose it a little bit. He can't grasp what's real and what's memories anymore. And we see in his memories that his son died at a birthday party. Um, it doesn't really go into too much detail about how his son died. I think what happened was he was playing with a group of his friends. A bigger kid had a bat and I think he hit him over the head with it. And just the way that he hit him, it caused their son to die. Um, so after Will composes himself outside, he, he goes outside to get a breather. Um, Sadie joins him and pretty much says, we can fuck right here if you want. And it's just so weird. And I start to think, oh, is that even real? Like, what, what what's going on? Um, he's brought out of this daze when Tommy is trying to rationalize with him and tell them he's got to stop acting so paranoid. Everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. They're all friends. They're all family. Um, so Tommy goes back inside and uh, Will gets a ding on his phone. And he checks his voicemail and it's from Choi who was the character who we are not introduced yet because he's missing the entire night. Um, so the voicemail basically says that he, it's Choi and he's saying that he's outside of Eden and David's home. He's there. He's going to go inside. And he said that he was early for once. Um, obviously, at this point, Will's mind and our minds are reverting to thinking that Choi is being held captive somewhere in this house. Um the music, again, really puts me on edge. Uh, it just makes you, it's like this big, huge buildup and you're just waiting, 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 waiting. So Will walks back into the house and confronts Eden as to where Choi is. Um, then he confronts, and, and he's basically, he just walks in and he's like, he's like, Eden, where's Choi? Um, then he confronts everyone in the group saying something weird's going on and why is everybody being so nice to each other when they know that something, something crazy's going on. He starts going off on Eden saying that they're in a cult and how they're all denial and they're all in denial and brainwash and how she's nuts. And, um, he starts saying like, why are you on this medication? Why are all the doors locked? Why are there bars on the window? And then he storms out. Kira, his girlfriend, I'm sorry. His girlfriend, wife, I, I, I'm not 100% sure, tries to get him to leave, um, saying, like, okay, that's enough. Like, we're leaving. I'm done. This is over. Um, and just as, as she says that, the doorbell rings, and it's Choi. He comes in. Apparently, as soon as he was about to walk up to the door, he got a phone call from work saying, like, oh, they can't do anything without me, which is the reason why he's late. So then Will starts to get really upset. He starts apologizing to everyone. He excuses himself. He's really starting to come apart uh, with the memories of his son. Um, he finds himself outside again. Kira goes outside to talk to him. And, um, you know, she's saying, like, we both have to, you know, confront this together. And we have to, we have to deal with this together. 
And Will kind of just shuts down and says, like, well, you can't help me deal with this. Um, we then find out that his son's name was Ty. So at the, Kira basically storms off. And if I were her, I'd be like, I'm going to get an Uber. You, I, I, I'm out. Like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, so, and then, so Will comes back inside, looks at Eden and says, can I see Ty's room? So he goes into this room. He goes into Ty's room. He's like laying down in his bed. He's reminiscing about all the times he had with his son. Um, I don't really see anything terrible happening in the last 27 minutes of this movie. I think Will might just need some therapy. <laughs> um, the next scene, we see David walk outside and hang a red lantern on a tree and light it. And he kind of looks at it, and then he kind of looks into the distance, which is important for later in the film. So it goes back to Will. Will's out of his son's room, wanders into David's office, and David's computer is there. And there's a video from Dr. Joseph basically saying, I'm waiting for you. I love you. I'm here to help you. Will starts crying. Um, so now I wonder, is Will going to join the cult? Like, what's going on? Um, this is where the movie starts to get a little slow for me because I was kind of waiting. There was so much build up. I was waiting. I was waiting. I was anticipating so much and nothing was happening. Um, I either wanted someone to snap or it to be over. Um, so as soon as this thought forms in my head, um, it just, everything starts to just go to shit. Um, the entire dinner party is sitting at the dining room table where they had just had dinner and Eden or David Eden and David are pouring out what we assume is wine into wine glasses and passing it along to everybody just as they're about to drink them Will starts smashing his glasses out of people's hands and saying don't drink them don't drink them um so now I'm thinking this is like don't drink the Kool-Aid kind of scene um and everyone, you know, is like, what is wrong with you? And at this point, I'm like, oh, my God, this movie, like, what is going on? Like, something needs to happen. Um, then they're all kind of looking at each other. And then all of a sudden, Sadie, like, lunges at Will. She's pissed. And she's like, she's like, you ruined everything. Um, and starts attacking Will. Will then pushes her head. I mean, I'm sorry, pushes her. And her head smashes against a cabinet. She's bleeding profusely. She's on the ground. Um... Someone says she's not breathing or Miguel is attending to her and and someone is saying, oh, my God, she's not breathing. Miguel goes, no, 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 she's breathing. It's OK. And then they say, no, Gina's not breathing. So our attention goes to Gina, who is basically foaming at the mouth. So we obviously can assume that she drank the Kool-Aid. Um, so this is where the movie gets it can get kind of dicey. So just just bear with me and keep up. Um, at this point, all hell breaks loose, which is what I was waiting for. And the directors and the writers, the filmmaker, they brought it. Uh, so Miguel is desperately trying to revive Gina um, with the help of Kira. So now, which is where we can assume they're obviously, they're both doctors. Um, and then David has a gun, shoots Miguel. Then uh, Pruitt takes the gun from David and starts shooting everybody else. I think next he shot uh, Choi. Um, so now the rest of the surviving dinner party is trying to get the fuck out of this house. But of course, everything is locked and everything's barred. <laughs> so I'm also still wondering if any of this is real. Um, 
So now Kira and Will are hiding in the back room when they overhear a conversation between Eden and David. And Eden is basically freaking the fuck out. Um, obviously, because he and uh, Purit are killing everybody. She also mentions how it was supposed to be peaceful. And so now I assume they were all going to drink the Kool-Aid and die peacefully together. I gotta assume that. Um, so now it's just a mess. Thank God Kira didn't leave. Uh, she ended up saving Will's life when uh, Purit was strangling him. She used some kind of vase or stone or something and she just started beating him over the head with it. Um, and then uh, Will and Kira walk out of the back room that they were hiding in and Eden is standing in the dining room with a gun. She shoots Will in the arm and then she shoots herself in the stomach. Um, there's also a scuffle between Tommy and David. Uh, Tommy is able to stab David in the chest with a knife. And at this point, I really want Will to just say, I told you, motherfuckers, that this place was crazy. <laughs> um, but he, he didn't do that. <laughs> so Kira, Will, and Tommy or are the last survivors and Eden is barely hanging in there. Um, she has to be brought outside to die. So they bring her outside. And Tommy's like, I gotta go find Miguel. And then he disappears. So that leaves Kira and Will outside. Eden's on the ground dying. And we start to hear sirens and screaming and dogs barking. And the camera pans up into the canyon and shows that every single house has one of those weird ass lanterns <laughs> aka they're all in a cult <laughs> so those west people those west coast people man you know i'm just kidding <laughs> so now just some afterthoughts um a couple other things and of course my review um if you remember how i said uh there was a knock at the door we never found out who it was I have to assume that it was some other cult, cult members, maybe swapping tips on how they're going to kill their dinner guests. I don't know. Like, what kind of wine are you using? Like, you're going to do white or red. <laughs> um, also, did Claire get home okay? Like, did she just wake up the next day with a missed call from Will? Like, hey, Claire, so glad you left, the, <laughs> left last night because all our friends are murdered. Okay, give me a call back. Um, so we're not sure exactly what happens to her. So, all right. Overall, love this movie. 10 out of 10 for sure. I had no idea what to expect when I when uh, I started watching this. This movie made me think a bunch of different scenarios. I changed my mind like three or four times about what was actually going on. I love when a movie keeps me guessing right up until the end. Um, I kept asking myself, is it a cult? Is this all this is imagination? Is he going to join? Like what the actual fuck is going on? I think the characters were also casted perfectly with their actors. The soundtrack was awesome. The vibe of the whole movie was really dope. Uh, well done to the entire team who put this together and the actors who worked on it. I also watched an interview with the actors who played Kira and Will uh, with Colander Videos, which you can find the video right on YouTube. The two explain how the invitation is more than your typical horror film because you're waiting for the horror part to present itself and it was just something so much deeper, which is what I was kind of talking about, how I was saying I was like waiting for the, the shooter drop. I was waiting for something to explode. Um... Logan Green also pointed out that this kind of movie doesn't spoon feed its audience, meaning we really had to figure out who was who, who did what, and we want to go back and rewatch it, which I did. 
twice to really put the pieces together. He also hints there's an Easter egg in the movie, and it's located in the boys' room, which I was able to find. And if you, well, there was a YouTube comment that said, if you look at the blocks on the ground in the flashback of the son's room, you'll see at the bottom right that the blocks spell Kusama, and um, that's obviously the director of the film. So uh, that's what I really love about horror is there's so many genres um, and sub-genres within the genre. Um, as I said earlier, we can have our classic masked villain who runs around terrorizing horny teens, or we can have these kind of crazy, keeps you guessing psychological thrillers. So go check out this movie. It was a great movie. It'll definitely keep you entertained. I was glued to my screen the entire time I was watching it. So bottom line, don't hang out with your ex. (laughs) If she invites, if he or she invites you to a dinner party, don't go. (laughs) Please, just don't go. So that is going to be it for this evening Horror Nights in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to message, DM, tweet, or email me what your favorite scary movie is so I can give you my honest and horrific opinion. All right, thanks for listening. Bye, guys.